pray for financial help. Things aren't getting better. I pray for guidance and making decisions, but decisions aren't getting easier. I pray for my relationships to improve, but they're just getting worse. Would you talk to me? I can't hear you. I can't smell you. I can't touch you. I can't feel you. Would you just please talk to me? What do you want me to do? I'll do it. You want me to read more? You want me to pray more? Is that what you want? Fine. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. I don't even know what that means. What, a kingdom of justice? Of equality? Of freedom? What? A kingdom of french fries and sour cream? Of cucumbers? Of what? That's all I know is this where is this kingdom? And is this all there is? Right here, right now? Is this all I'll ever know? What do you want from me, God? Would you talk to me? Are you even listening? Who here hasn't struggled with similar questions around prayer? In conversations with believers throughout the years, I have discovered a deep frustration on the part of many of God's people when it comes to prayer. So if you struggle with it, loved one, you are not alone. Prayers are battles. Prayers are battles, as the British preacher Joseph Parker wrote. It is conflict. Prayer is the hardest work you will ever do. Is that why, then, it can be so easily neglected? Or does the struggle with prayer have more to do with seeing prayer as inactivity, that we aren't getting anything done when we pray? Or does it have more to do with failing to see a connection between prayers and answers? What is it? that births the kind of prayer needed that infuses vitality into our souls? What is it that births the kind of prayer needed that taps into the power of the Almighty God? What is the kind of prayer that changes our lives and moves the hand of God to do some things He wouldn't do otherwise through us? What is the kind of prayer that moves it away from duty and sometimes a very exasperating duty to one of the most highly esteemed privileges. What can move our prayer life from forced to flowing? Jim Cimbala put it this way, he put it aptly, he said, prayer cannot truly be taught by principles and seminars and symposiums. It has to be born out of a whole environment of felt need. If I say I ought to pray, I will soon run out of motivation and quit because the flesh is too strong. I have to be driven to pray. Driven to pray. As we saw with the man in this video clip. So as we come to yet another promise from the covenant-keeping God, we turn to the topic of prayer. 
And if you are like me, you know more about prayer than you practice in your life. My intention for this morning is not give you principles about prayer so that you learn more about prayer. But my hope is, is that as you leave this message this morning, you leave with a greater sense of what might be missing by not making prayer more a more vital part of our lives. When we were just vacationing in Maine, we of course had to swing by the coast to catch a little of the sight and smell of the ocean. And as the surf of the ocean reaches shore, it leaves this white foam. That's only the surface of the depth of the mighty ocean. In our prayer life and walk with the Lord, have we settled for the foam left on the surf on the ocean shore when God has so much more to give us if we ask? Are we just skimming the surface of life as it was meant to be and not drawing from the depths that only God can give us? I mean, have we become far too easily pleased to to coin a C.S. Lewis phrase? Have we become satisfied with mere church, mere religious activities, mere programs, and the many things we can do? Oh, there may not be anything inherently wrong with some of these things, but the question is, are we settling? What are we missing? What are we missing by not making prayer? This kind of prayer Jesus talks about in John 15, a more vital part of our lives. What are we missing? Well, look with me at that passage that was read in John 15. John 15, turn your Bibles to John 15 if you're not there. John 15, it's one of those chapters in the Bible that we can and must return to time and time again for regular checkups on how we're doing spiritually. I mean, I mean it speaks to the Christian, I mean, the authentic Christian faith. It sums up in one chapter what is the absolute necessity for living the Christian life and the tragedy of a life spent apart from Christ. And Jesus uses a grapevine to illustrate a spiritual truth. The overriding emphasis of this passage is fruit-bearing. And the passage is clear as to there being only one way we can bear fruits. My focus for the purposes of this study on the promises of God as we've been making our way on those throughout the summer is going to be verse 7. We find a promise stated by Jesus in verse 7. The promise is simply this. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Ask Whatever you wish. Really? That's quite a promise. What a concept. All we need to do is ask for whatever we want, and we will be sure to get it. Really? Has that been your experience? I mean, is there something wrong here with God's promise? Does God promise to answer everyone's prayer in the affirmative? You might have heard about the elder and the pastor who both owned parrots. And the elder's parrot would constantly say, let's kiss, let's kiss. So the elder was kind of embarrassed when people came over because of his parrot who always said, let's kiss, let's kiss. 
And the elder had heard that the pastor's parrot would constantly say, let's pray, let's pray. So the elder figured that perhaps he would do his parrot a little good if he exposed him to the pastor's parrot. Perhaps the pastor's parrot would rub off on his parrot. So, so the elder brought his parrot into the pastor's house, and sure enough, the elder's parrot blurted out, let's kiss, let's kiss. And the pastor's parrot replied, finally, my prayer has been answered. <laughs> you see, when we take the statement, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you, this is the sort of thing we end up with. I can pray anything. God will give it to me. Can you imagine this verse without some conditions? Blank check, signed by God, and you just fill in the amount. You say, I've asked for a lot of things and didn't get them. Well, of course, we cannot look at verse 7 in isolation, but Matt must rather refer to what comes before it and after it. We take this one verse, this one statement in this verse, as many have done, with the neglect of all the verses surrounding it, we not only distort its meaning, we rob it of the depths of its significance. Let's push our boats out away from shore and the white foam to the surface, to the depths of what this is getting at. Again, my hope is that you leave this morning with a greater sense of what you're missing by not making prayer a more vital part of your life. And while at first pass, we may sense some disappointment and the restriction placed on this promise, hopefully by the end, we are excited about the possibilities of what God can and wants to do through us as we commit to the kind of praying that is wrapped up in this promise. Now, you might recall as we began our study on being armed with God's promises, that I mentioned that there are some promises that are unconditional and some that are conditional. This is one of those conditional promises. In fact, there are two conditions mentioned in this one verse surrounding this wonderful promise, two conditions. But before we look at these two conditions, there are a couple of observations that need to be made in order to get what Jesus is saying. I want to read verses 7 and 8 together here. Follow along. John 15, verses 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, what do you notice here in Jesus' words of verses 7 and 8? There seems to be a connection between God getting glory our bearing fruit, and prayer being answered. The way I believe it all connects is that God gets glory when we bear fruit because we have prayed and God has answered. And so the first observation to be made about prayer is that prayer is for fruit bearing. Prayer is for fruit bearing. I can safely say this. If you are not devoted to fruit-bearing, you have no basis for expecting answers to prayer. Too strong? Search it for yourself. Prayer malfunctions when it's not used for fruit-bearing. Secondly, prayer is not for gratifying our desires. True prayer focuses on God and his glory rather than selfish indulgence. God is not interested in satisfying our selfishness. He's not. God does not exist 
to make us happy or so that we have good self-esteem or to be successful to actualize our potential, fulfill our destiny, find ourselves, and so on and so forth. We exist for God's glory. You might argue, well, aren't we supposed to ask God for our daily needs? Doesn't Scripture speak to praying for our daily bread? A few weeks back, Chris Girardi brought us to Matthew 6, and he spoke to the promise of God providing for our needs. You'll also recall that in that message, Chris reminded us that to not worry about daily necessity begins with identifying who is our master. That before we ask God for anything, we must get first things first. Who's our master? The passage goes on in in Matthew 6 that first things first means we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. When we're told in the Lord's Prayer to ask for our daily bread, we can't forget how that prayer begins. The Lord's Prayer begins with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or in language we understand, your name is holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see the focus? Yeah, we're to ask for our daily bread. Yes, it's okay to ask God to meet our daily needs. That isn't the problem. The issue is one of motives. Are we asking God for things that satisfy us? Or are we asking God for things that will bring him glory, that will carry out his will on the earth? You see, the kind of prayer that is so popular in our day is nothing more than a a God give me this. God do that. God wave your magic divine hand here. It's that kind of praying that's going on. And worse, many preachers are sanctioning this form of selfishness. No other way to say it. We spend a lot of time asking for stuff we don't need, don't we? What if we got some of those things? Have you thought about that? It's been said there are two tragedies in life. One is to not get your heart's desire. The other is to get it. The point of praying is not that we get things from God. It's an act of dependence on our Lord and enjoyment of intimate communion with him. Don't skip the relationship. The relationship with Christ must come first. Our Father relationship. What keeps our prayers from becoming selfish? Well, it's to begin in thought anyway that God is holy. Everything is rightly his. We must come to him in awe of who he is and that he is the one in control of our lives. It means we must align our will with his will. You see, the key to praying with power is to become the kind of person who's not dominated by natural desires, but, by, but driven by what God desires. See, prayer is for fruit-bearing, for God's glory. The question is, are we living to bear fruit? Are we living to, to hollow his name? We, we want his holiness to be displayed. We, we're living to, to seek his kingdom and to do his will. That's the starting place. Well, now let's look at two conditions that Jesus mentions in this promise of ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. What are the two conditions? Verse 7 begins with the words, 
If you remain in me, Jesus says. Here's condition number one. I'm not going to complicate it. We must remain in him. Condition number one for answers to prayer, this kind of praying, is that we must be remaining in him. Condition number one. That's Jesus' point in using this analogy of the vine and the branches. That out of remaining in him comes all these other things. Remain. Now, some translations use the word abide. It's the idea of having a love relationship with Christ in whom Christ's life really lives, the one through whom he pours his essence. You know you are remaining when you want to get as close to Jesus as possible and you want to get as much of the life essence of Christ flowing through you as possible. You know you're remaining when that's your desire. Now, there's so much here in this passage that I don't have time to talk about. And this whole idea of, 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 of remaining in him. You see, to be in Jesus and, and for Jesus to be in, in me is worth pondering and spending much time as possible meditating on, all, on what it all means. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning, but it, but it births many things. Our remaining in Christ births many things. The one thing it births is as we're focusing on this morning, is prayer. And the truth is, if you're struggling with prayer, it's not prayer that you're really struggling with. Did you hear that? If you're struggling with prayer, it's not prayer that you're really struggling with. You are struggling with remaining, abiding. Because the more you are remaining in Christ and that relationship is cultivated and nurtured, the more you speak to God. So if you struggle with prayer, what do you really struggle with? Remaining in Christ. See, the question is not, how do I pray more? Or how do I do more? Or how do I find the right formula to use in prayer? Those aren't the right questions. The right question is, where am I not abiding in Christ? has to begin there. Jesus then says that as you remain in him, here is what he's going, is going to happen. You're going to pray because you're remaining him. You're going to pray. You're going to talk to God. And what will he do? He'll answer those prayers, providing a second condition. Condition number two, his words remain in us. His words remain in us. Taking it right from the text. I'm not making this up. Not even trying to put a little spin in it on it to say it a certain way. I want to take it right from the text. How do you remain? How do you abide in Christ? The next sentence answers that. If you remain in me, what does that look like? Well, here's the answer. And my words remain in you. Now, here's a sobering thought. If I don't pay attention to what God says to me in his word, why should he pay attention to me when I talk to him? Whoa! If I ignore his words, why should you pay attention to what I say to him? God requires that we listen to him first before he listens to us. Are we listening to his voice? Everything depends on the relationship of the listener to the one who calls. It's like the story of a father and a son on a journey to a distant city. They had no maps. 
The trip was going to be long and hard, fraught with danger. Only the wisdom and experience of the father would get them safely to their destination. Along the way, the boy grew curious about his surroundings. He he wanted to know what was on the other side of the forest. What would he see if he stood on that distant ridge? Could he run over there and look, he asked his dad. And his father said, sure, go ahead. But the boy then became a little nervous. What if I wander too far from you, father? What if I get lost? The father said, every few minutes, I will call your name and wait for your answer. Listen for my voice, my son. And when you can no longer hear me, you'll know you have gone too far. Everything depends on the relationship of the listener to the one who calls. Have we gone too far? We're not hearing his voice. It is only as we hear his voice as it keep us from wandering too far from the Lord. And God says, if we fill our minds with the Bible, the word of God, then we'll be in Christ. We'll be abiding in him. This is why we must be saturated by his word. The individual words of Christ ought to be controlling our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus and the very words of Christ are controlling your life, then you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Really? Really? Jesus says something similar one chapter back in chapter 14, verse 14. John 14, 14, Jesus says, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus says, In my name. What's that all about? Well, it's, simply more, it's, it's more than simply adding his name at the end of your prayer as a sort of a catch-all. You know, making sure you include the postage stamp on your letter to God. (laughs) In Jesus' name, got it. There it is. Off it goes. Don't want to forget the postage stamp. I mean, I think it's fine to add in Jesus' name as we pray, if it keeps us mindful that we can only come to God through Jesus Christ. But it is more than that. To pray in Jesus' name is the idea that you are praying consistent with the words and will of Jesus. You are praying with him in mind. You are saying that what you have prayed, Jesus can sign his name to. To what degree is Jesus welcomed in your life? Is he welcomed as only the silent guest with with no commands? It's kind of good to have him there. Just don't say too much. Don't speak too much into my life. If I need you, I'll let you know, but please be silent. Is that what it is? Or is, he, or is he there as Lord whose opinions matter the most? I mean, are you, are you going hard after, after the living words of Jesus? Do you hear his voice speaking with you? What might be getting in the way of hearing his voice right now? What competing voice is getting in the way? Do you know a person who seems to walk most consistently with the Lord. What do you notice about that person? Is he or she not also oozing Scripture? Coincidence? I think not. The more we're saturated by the words of Jesus, the more our prayers will be answered. That's the promise. Back many years ago, at a well-known evangelical seminary, 50 students, 50, 50 students planning to go overseas in ministry for the summer 
were interviewed for their suitability. Now get this, only three out of the 50 students, 6%, could testify to regular times of reading the Bible and devoting themselves to prayer. 6%. People preparing to go to the ministry or the mission field. 6%. Closer to home, one of the elders I served with in Maine conducted a similar personal interview with each of the elders, and he was appalled to discover how infrequent and irregular they spent in God's word and prayer. That got real close to home. Listen, churches can run without prayer. Christian organizations can run without prayer. Denominations can run without prayer. Parachurch ministries can run without prayer. Christian colleges and seminaries can run without prayer. You can run your life without prayer. The question is, is what we're doing worth doing if we can do it without prayer? And I can point to times in my life in ministry in which I did something apart from Christ, and I can point to other times in which I did it with a conscious, abiding dependence on Christ's enabling power. I desire to narrow that gap. Theologian wrote a 602-page theology on the Christian life. It was entitled on being a Christian. And he wrote 602 pages of, of this is how you live the Christian life without a word about prayer. He was asked why, and he answered, I forgot. There was the publisher's deadline, the harassment he was receiving from the Vatican, and he overlooked prayer. Is it possible that we have become so good at other things that we have forgotten to pray? Speaking to myself, loved ones. Prayerless lives equal powerless lives. Prayerless people, wrote Bill Hybels, cut themselves off from God's prevailing power, and the frequent result is the familiar feeling of being overwhelmed, overrun, beaten down, pushed around, and defeated. Pause for a moment. Now, later, Sometime, pause, and and I'm asking you to count up the amount of time you spent in God's Word this past week. Begin with Monday and add it up. If you will, write down that amount of time. And ask yourself after you do that, is this a typical week or a typical week? I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but simply make a point. What about time in prayer? What is that total? And I wonder, I hope I'd be wrong on this, that if we collected those, we might be shocked to see the percentage of those who spent fewer than 15 minutes per week in Bible reading and the percentage of those of equal time or less in prayer. Again, please hear me. This is not about doing X amount of minutes of Bible reading to earn X amount of answered prayer or X amount of points in heaven or to even suggest that this is all it takes to be spiritual. It's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about knowing God more deeply. I'm talking about living out what we value. Are we seeking the living words that come from the lips of a living person whom we say we love and follow? 
That's all I'm asking. Remember, there's four fingers pointing my way. And unless I miss my guess, I believe that Jesus has something in mind here that is vastly more life-shaping than the quick glances that many of us give to the Word of God each week. I also think that there are possibilities in our prayer life that we never dreamed. There is something in John 15, 7, and I couldn't get away from it this week. There's something in John 15, 7 that we're just not getting. We. For Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Really? Answered prayer comes from his living in us and our living in him. And the more we remain in him and the more his words remain in us, the more that this promise will be fulfilled in our lives. That's the bottom line. The more we remain in him, And the more his words remain in us, the more that this promise will be be fulfilled in our lives. Let's make it our aim, loved ones, to pray from the fullness of God's word. Let's make it our quest to discover how prayer and his word remaining in us work together. Because what we need is spiritual, persistent, biblically-minded prayer. And my desire for us as a church is that we will discover how the Word of God and prayer work together in powerful, life-changing, fruit-bearing ministry for the glory of God. Might there be, might there be greater potential in this promise that few are tapping into? Have only a few truly experienced this dynamic of his Word remaining in them and releasing certain prayers to, to certain answers to prayer? Do we really know what it's like to live day in and day out this incredible relationship between the indwelling word and answers to prayer? I mean, I put this in question form because I'm not all sure I've fully experienced it. This is a powerful truth, and its implications are magnificent. See, we want this promise without the conditions. We secretly may even think the conditions ruin the whole thing. We hear this, and we walk away kind of bummed. That's because we have yet to unpack all that this means for our lives. That is because we are, we are so selfish and so often ask amiss that we receive very little to nothing in our praying. Don't miss this. When we grab a hold of what this is saying, and we begin to experience this in our praying, power will return to the church, and power will return to our lives. Now, let's get real practical here. If Jesus is ready to give whatever we asked, birth out of a relationship with him that would give him the greatest glory, what do we desperately need to be praying for? If Jesus is ready to give whatever we ask, birth out of a relationship with him that would give him the greatest glory, what do we desperately need to be praying for? What are some things that you would say, I need to be praying that the Father would give that? What are things that we can covenant with each other to be praying for? I need to be praying that the Father would give what? Well, in this passage alone, gives us a bunch of things. You could fill it in with fruitfulness. You could fill it in with obedience. You could fill it in with love for each other. 
You could fill it in with conversions. You could fill it in with opportunities for service. You could fill it in with greater joy in our lives. I don't know about you, but there are times that the Christians are the most gloomy, depressed people I've ever seen. And you follow me around and you might conclude the same thing. We ought to be praying that joy fills our lives. That's what he gets at in John 15. Read John 15 over and over here this week. It's powerful. Will you promise with me that you'll be praying for some of these things? Oh, may we catch a glimpse of what we might be missing by not making prayer a vital part of our lives. What might we see if we embrace this kind of praying? What might we experience if we really gave ourselves to this kind of praying? Have you thought about that? Can we imagine that? Can we dream about that? Back in the time of the great awakenings of the 18th and 19th centuries, the time of revivals, led by Jonathan Edwards throughout New England, this kind of prayer was being released. And interestingly, after the first awakening, three churches of Ipswich, Massachusetts, covenanted to continue in concerts of corporate prayer. In each congregation, there were these cell groups that would meet weekly to agree in prayer. Monthly, the separate congregations would then gather the cells and conduct conduct all church prayer meetings of agreement. Quarterly, all three would come together for the same kind of praying. And this pattern was followed consistently without interruption for a century. Now, two remarkable things happened during this time. All three churches reported a harvest of conversions. Imagine that. Secondly, during this time, all of New England was being swept by Unitarianism except for these three churches. They remained true to the faith while apostasy swirled all around them. However, around the time of the Civil War, these prayer meetings, these cell groups ceased. And within five years, these three churches all succumbed to Unitarianism connection? Does it matter that we embrace this kind of praying? Might we see an awakening, a revival? Might it be the difference between life and death, power and impotency? Ask whatever we wish. Really? Really? It's been said that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. Let's pray. Lord, it's a lot easier to talk about prayer than be about the business of prayer. convicted me of that many times this week. Almost to the place where I didn't feel qualified to be behind this pulpit this morning. Hopefully your power is made perfect in my weakness. Hopefully, Lord, we all got a greater sense of what we're missing in our lives 
because prayer has been missing. May it be a more vital part of what we do. Please, I pray, no one walks away from this with a checklist to follow. I must do this X amount of days, amount of time per day. I'd be missing the points. You know where each one's at. You know what you called us to. You know what you ask of us. We know it too most of the time. And I pray we'd give ourselves to the prayer, the study of your word, to the kind of praying that is here with a promise that you'll give us whatever we ask. May we be praying big. May we ask for much as we remain in you and your words remain in us. Continue to convict and challenge, rebuke and encourage from this passage here. All for your glory. All for the purpose of fruit bearing. And Jesus, wonderful, matchless name. Amen.